John chapter 8. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. This is my story of life and death. I was just a girl, like any other girl. I made some mistakes and they caught up with me. I've been dragged to the temple court. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees were angry. I could see the hate in their faces. The fear was overwhelming. I was going to be stoned to death. That was what they did then. I knew, I knew that I'd been playing with fire, but I just, I never thought. There was this man there, Jesus, who they brought me to. I'd heard stories about him. The people loved him, but the religious leaders didn't. They stood me in front of him and started to ask him questions. My life was in his hands. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. I watched his finger drawing in the sand while waves of guilt and humiliation rushed through my body. My heart was racing. I'd heard that he was kind, that he, that he cared for people, that he helped and healed people, that he was different, but my life hung in the balance. I felt so exposed, so ashamed. And then he spoke. I'd never heard anyone speak that way before, but I will never forget what it was that he said. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. Those words saved my life, and they changed everything. I held my breath, waiting for the first rocket to hit me, bracing myself for the pain. Eyes tight shut, fists clenched, arms held over my head, just waiting and waiting any moment now, waiting for the first rock to hit me. He said to them, let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. But the rocks never came. I opened my eyes and it was just me and Jesus. I couldn't believe it. Everything changed in that moment. I couldn't contain my emotions. The tears, but, but not of fear, but relief. Not of despair, but joy. The darkness had lifted and light shone through. 
There was hope. Only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. He looked straight at me. His eyes were gentle but serious. He was everything people there had said that he was. He knew me. All that I'd done, who I was, the very worst things about me, and yet he loved me. He saved me that day from being killed, but, but this was even bigger than that. This was more than that. This was everything, all of my life, a fresh start, a blank canvas. He set me free. Everything changed when I met Jesus. Before I was dead. But now, I am alive. And wasn't that an amazing story? Um, you might have read that before, but when you sort of see it reenacted like that, it kind of brings extra layers of meaning to it, doesn't it? And, and it strikes me how that woman, she started that encounter on a journey to death, and she left, realising that she was fully alive. And I don't know if you've um, got any sort of incredible life and death dramatic stories in your life or in your experience. In my life, it's, it's probably been a little, little bit sheltered, not, not, not so much. Um, I was racking my brains, and probably the best thing that I could think of was that a couple of months ago, this, this watch... Um, I took it off and I put it in my jeans pocket and um, put my jeans in the washing machine. And, um, you know, realised mid-cycle and, of course, thought that the, the watch was, was going to be dead. But um, amazingly, it emerged alive. She's still, I don't know if you can hear her, ticking away. It's a miracle. Um, or, um, you know, perhaps you can empathise with, um, you know, when you take your car to the MOT. Have you ever had those ones where you, t you touch and go? And you're expecting she's dead. But then the phone call comes at three o'clock in the afternoon. She's alive. She's made it for another 12 months. Or um, last year, um, and ladies, you won't be familiar with this one, but man flu. If you've ever had man flu, sometimes, yeah, last I didn't think I was going to make it at one stage. <laughs> and um, I, it, my wife, Abby, she, she sort of kept me going through it because she was just so, I mean, I'm sure she was concerned on the inside, but externally, it was as though it was almost as though she did, wasn't concerned at all about the whole thing. So, so I'd say personally, no, I don't have any personal stories genuinely about life and death. But I do have um, a DVD collection that's full of those kind of stories because, of course, Hollywood makes its money off of stories about life and death, doesn't it? You know the kind of stories that we watch where the hero's life hangs in the balance. Um, before, you know, they emerge dramatically at the end into life. And one of my favourite films of this kind um, is the film Apollo 13. I don't know, has anybody seen the film Apollo 13? 
It's amazing. That film came out in 1995. So I'm guessing there might be a lot of you that haven't heard of it um, or even weren't alive when it came out, in which case your bank holiday Monday is sorted. Just get hold of this film. It's brilliant. And the best thing about the film Apollo 13 is it's based on um, and quite true to real-life events. In 1970, three astronauts set off for the moon. However, about 200,000 miles from Earth, something went wrong. There was an equipment malfunction on board the, the, the spacecraft. And the mission, there was an explosion, the mission was thrown into turmoil. The scientists back at um, HQ quickly realized that, that they no longer had the ability to, to land on the moon. And what's more, the spacecraft didn't, didn't have the power on board to even, to even turn around and get back home. In fact, their only hope of survival would be to allow the craft to sort of continue on the trajectory that it was on and enter into um, an orbit around the moon um, so that they could sort of slingshot back towards the Earth, use the limited power that they did have on board to push back out of the um, moon's orbit and get back home to Earth. And, and during this time, they faced um, numerous engineering challenges. There was um, damaged equipment, which meant they had limited power. The, the carbon dioxide levels were building up on board. And, um, and they didn't know whether the damaged craft would be able to withstand the re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere. So um, if you haven't seen this film, I realize I've just slightly <laughs> ruined the plot. Um, but seeing as I've done that and gone that far, let's watch how it ends. This is when they're trying to <laughs> re-enter. Expect to regain signal in three minutes. still worth watching. So, <laughs> but what is it about these kind of films, these life and death scenarios that we find so thrilling and also so entertaining? I wonder, 
I was thinking about it. I wonder if it's because, partly because we don't like death. And these films, they give us a bit of a shot of adrenaline because, you know, when we sort of encounter and come close to death in these films, we're naturally and instinctively spurred away from it. Um, the film director Woody Allen once said, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve it through not dying. Because people don't want to die. Death tends to freak us out. Because we don't necessarily understand how it works or what it really means. There's so much mystery to it. Every single person in this room knows how to swat a fly. But not one of us knows how to restore it to life. When it comes to the meaning of, of, of death and, and life and that kind of stuff, you know, the greatest minds that have ever walked on this planet have all had to put their hands up and acknowledge, I don't really understand how it works. You know, even Albert Einstein, he said, there are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. But he couldn't tell us which one it was. All we could say for sure is that there is something, there seems to be something within us that's hardwired into us, that longs and strives to be alive, to be fully alive. And today, as we reflect on the Easter story, we're reminded that 2,000 years ago, though, there was one man who did put his hand up and declare, actually, I do understand the meaning of death and life. I do understand what life is all about. In fact, I am life. And of course, that person was Jesus. Um, in John's gospel, the passage that we heard uh, a little bit from earlier, if you read on a couple of chapters, a little bit later, Jesus is in a conversation with one of his friends. And he said these words. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asked, do you believe this? And tonight, I, I just want you to imagine that Jesus is asking you that question. Do you believe this? You might be here and you might, you know, be, your answer might be yes, with all my heart, absolutely I do. For others, it might be that this question is like the question that you're thinking about at the moment. Yeah, I, I'm on a journey of exploring that. I don't know if I do believe this. And if, and if that's you, I'd really encourage the things that... Um, that the guys mentioned earlier, the Alpha course that's coming up, Invitation Sunday, really encourage you to, to get stuck into those. And there might be others of you who, who are perhaps visiting here and you don't know very much about Jesus at all and you're not really sure what this question even means. It just sounds confusing. And if that's you, then hopefully you're in the right place tonight because we're just going to spend the next few minutes figuring that out. What exactly did Jesus mean when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And I say that to start asking that question, answering that question, perhaps the best way would be to highlight that Jesus didn't just um, say those words. He, he lived them out in his life. When Jesus encountered death, whenever he saw ruin, disease, decay, he restored things to life. So he healed people who had incurable diseases. And he, and he, and he sought out people who's, who had broken, um, decaying hearts. People who, who had lost hope. People who had gone up way off track. Sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. 
And he, he, he healed their hearts and he gave them a new start in the same way that he did with, with that, that lady in the story. In fact, just, just moments after he said those words, I am the resurrection and the life, um, a friend of his um, had died a few days ago before that. And Jesus healed him and restored him to life, a guy called Lazarus, to demonstrate what he was talking about. Whenever Jesus saw death, he made things come alive in incredible and miraculous ways. And most incredibly of all, the most miraculous rescue from death to life ever was in his own life. And today we're here to celebrate that. And we're going to read um, the story about what happened to Jesus at Easter. And um, if this is taken from one of the accounts of Jesus' life um, in the Bible, uh, one of his, a, guy, a guy called Luke, who knew some of his friends, wrote down all about Jesus' life, and it's in, in the Bible. Um, and we're going to start, pick up the story just um, a few days before Jesus died. It, read, it says, um, Then Jesus took the twelve off to the side, and he said, Listen carefully. We're on our way up to Jerusalem and everything written in the prophets about the Son of Man, he was talking about himself there, will take place. He will be handed over to the Romans, he'll be jeered at, made sport of and spat on. Then, after giving him the third degree, they will kill him. In three days, he will rise alive. But they didn't get it. They couldn't make neither heads nor tails of what he was talking about. See, around this point in, in, in the journey, Jesus' disciples got a bit confused. Um, for the last three years, they've been following him around and they've been seeing miracles, they've been seeing amazing things, things coming to life. And then suddenly, Jesus switched and he started to talk in a somber way about death. It was strange to them. But then, as the next few days unfolded, it all, it all played out exactly as Jesus has said. They went to Jerusalem he was arrested. He was put to death. And for this band of followers, Jesus' disciples, like their world just came tumbling down in, in the space of a, in a day. They lost the hope that they'd had. They, they abandoned him at the cross. They scattered. Their faith died. But the funny thing is, if you, if you skip on in the Bible... Um, you, you notice that the, this guy Luke, who, who wrote these words, he actually wrote um, a sequel to that book called Acts, which describes what these Jesus followers got up to in the years that followed. And what's amazing is that in that, if you read that story, you'll notice that, that something changed. Something changed big, big time because their faith returned to life. In fact, if you read some of the the history of the early church, as, as recorded not just in the Bible, but by historians of the time, you learn that this first generation of Jesus followers, they had the most unshakable faith. It's incredible. They, they fearlessly faced terrible persecution um, from, from the Romans, from um, the Jewish authorities at the time, and even when they were hunted, even when they were killed, they had unswerving faith. And it kind of begs the question, what happened? What could have possibly happened that transformed their faith so much? And the explanation that the Bible gives is that they witnessed something with their own eyes that put their faith 
beyond any doubt. Three days after Jesus died on a cross, this is what happened. At the crack of dawn on Sunday, the women came to the tomb carrying burial spices they had prepared. They found the entrance stone rolled back from the tomb. So they walked in. They found, um, but once inside, they couldn't find the body of Master Jesus. They were puzzled, wondering what to make of this. Then out of nowhere, it seemed, two men, light cascading all over them, they were angels, stood there. The women were awestruck and bowed down in worship. The men said, why are you looking for the living one in a cemetery? He's not here, but raised up. Remember how he told you when you were still back in Galilee that he had to be handed over to sinners, be killed on a cross, and in three days rise up. And then they remembered Jesus' words. Over the next few days, we read in Luke's gospel, and in fact in the other stories about Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, and John, we read how these people, they met and they encountered the risen Jesus. He appeared to groups of them, he conversed with them, he embraced them, he ate with them, fully alive. The reason that their faith came alive was because they saw this happen with their own eyes. They saw him die and they saw him come back to life. And they finally understood what Jesus said when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. They were no longer scared of death because they had witnessed that Jesus had conquered and mastered death. And that when he promised, the one who believes in me will live even though he dies, they believed that promise. They believed him. They believed that death was not going to be the end for them, but simply a path to eternal life in heaven. But what's more, and you see this in that book that I mentioned in the book of Acts, what's more, as they, as they placed their trust in him and they started to, to live lives centered around him, they started to notice that this promise of life was something that they started to experience here on earth in their, in their present life. They started to see and experience all the life-giving things that they'd seen Jesus do. So they started praying for people and they started to get healed. And they started to, 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 to speak to people and their hope and their faith got restored. They set people free in the same way that Jesus did. Every, everywhere they went, things started to come alive. And that was the start of what is now the church around the world. And of course, 2,000 years on, Jesus, Jesus follows, we're still experiencing this same phenomenon. As we live for Jesus here in Nottingham in 2018, we see his life all around us. A life where we will often get a little glimpse of heaven, where we see, you know, we pray for the sick and we see them get healed. Now, I know perhaps if you're, if you're new here, you may not be, you may not be convinced that that actually happens these days, that people get healed in a sort of a miraculous way. But, but just to kind of gauge that, who here in this room um, will be able to put their hand up and say that at some point you have experienced physical healing um, after praying that you could only describe as, as out of the natural and supernatural? Just put your hand up if you've experienced that. Just look around the room. That's, that's the life that Jesus brings. Or who here would be able to say that Jesus has helped you break free of an addiction or a destructive pattern of behavior or, or a dark place that you just 
you just couldn't have got out of without him. Just put your hands up if you feel you're able to say that. That's the life that Jesus brings. Or who here would be able to say that your life has been turned around since you started following Jesus? Just put your hands up if you'd be able to say that. That's the life that Jesus brings. And to illustrate this um, just a little bit better, I'm going to welcome um, Stuart. He's going to come and share some of his stories. Let's welcome him here. Come on. We're especially grateful because it's your birthday today. It is indeed. Oh, no. Have, no, no, we're not going to do it. Okay. Thanks, mate. So, um, tell us a little bit about your journey before you got to know Jesus. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, I'll have that. That's fine. Um, at the age of 10, uh, my mum became very ill. Um, we were told she had cancer. Uh, it was too advanced to be cured, you know. Um, over the next year, it got progressively worse, and uh, it was at this end of her life that she said, uh, "This was your your mum." This you is say? my mum. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So I said she got really, really bad over over a year. You know, uh, it was the end of her life. She said, "Look, tell my kids I love them." You know, um, I think it was at this point I, I fell out of love with God. You know, um, I really started to rebel, uh, hang around with the wrong crowds, dabbling in drugs, and and, and basically. With the wrong crowd, basically, you know. Um, I started to rebel at school, hang around with the wrong crowds. It was then I decided, it was then, sorry, I'm a bit nervous. Don't worry, mate. You're it, was then, uh, it was then my dad decided to throw me out of the house, you know. Um, I was in a dark place. Uh, for about six years, I was involved in drugs and crime and had very little regard for myself or others, you know. Um, I did whatever I did to survive. Um, my grandmother was the only person in my life at this time you know, that I really cared about. Um, and I lost her at that time as well. So um, I think I fell out of love with God mm. a lot more, you know. Um, after my nan died, I, that's when I realised I'd lost too many people, you know. I, I needed to sort my life out, you know. And it was at that time I decided to clean my life up, you know. Um, my life did start to improve over the next six years, six, seven years, you know. I met my partner. We were together for about five years. Um, and then it was at that point she decided to settle down get married, get a mortgage. Um, I was reluctant, however. It was all moving a bit too fast for me, you know. Um, but we did, however, get married and get a mortgage. But like I said, it was, it was all too fast for me. It led me back into addiction, oh, you know. Um, I was on a downward spiral over the next two years. You know, I lost my house. I lost my wife. I ended up living in my car. Um, I'd lost everything. I'd worked so hard over seven years to get, you know. Um, the addiction had just just taken its toll, you know, um, to the point that I was I'd even thought about taking my own life. Wow! So, wow, so that was a, a terrible low point yeah. for you. So, from there, what what changed? Some something in me just told me to phone, go and see my drug worker, you know. Uh, so I went I went and saw him, explained my situation, um, and then that's when he said to me, "Look, what if I can get you into a Christian rehab?" You know, um, it didn't take me long to answer yes. You know, I was willing to do whatever it took to, uh, to uh, be able to do it, you know. Um, and I got into the carpenter's arms in about 10 days, you know, which is, which is pretty quick for the carpenter's arms. You know, it's um, a Christian, what, yeah. Christian uh, drug and alcoholic rehab in Loughborough. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, it was, it saved my life, you know. I was in there with eight other guys holding a Bible. You know, <laughs> it did feel a bit strange, don't get me wrong, but... The more and more I tuned into the teachings and the devotions, 
I wanted what they had. I really did. And uh, therefore, I gave my life to God. I, I, I felt I had to. Uh, I tried everything my way, you know. Um, and that's when we started coming to Trent every Sunday. You know, I love coming to Trent, uh, whether it's in the mornings or in the evenings. I always feel God's got something to tell me, you know, whether in the teachings you're doing or John are doing, you know. Um, new track, uh, oh, sorry. Tell me how you're doing yeah. brilliantly. Yeah, obviously, for the message, the new chapter in my life reminds me of the story of the prodigal son in right. the Bible, you know. Uh, I've lived a wild life, you know. I've came back to come back to my senses and returned to my father. I feel the parable reflects my life, even though I've done so many bad things, God has welcomed me back with open arms. And last year on October the 1st, I got baptised here to symbolise that God has done to me and washed away the bad things in my life so I can start again living for him. That's amazing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so, so then, um, yeah, <laughs> it's a good story. So you got baptised in October. Um, what's happened since then? Give us a bit of an update. Well, um, where to start? Um, you said about incurable illnesses, you know. Uh, this time last year, I had COPD, which is holes in my lungs. Um, I couldn't walk up a, a flight of stairs. You know, today, through God's grace and praying into it, the only miracle maker there is, I'm able to run 5K on the treadmill today. You know? Wow, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's it really good. is. Yeah. really is. You know? In terms of my recovery, I'm now phase three resident uh, at the Carpenter's Arms, which means I live in a shared house with, uh, with three other residents. I think there's two of them here somewhere at the moment. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, but I'm free to come and go as I please, you yeah. know. So during that time, I drive for the Carpenter's Arms, um, accompanying residents to appointments if and when staff members um, want me to drive them there. Um, even to the point of taking one of them to Glasgow uh, last week. Wow. So big responsibilities, yeah, you know, yeah, big, big responsibilities. Yeah. Um, I drive for Joseph's Storehouse, which is a food bank in Loughborough. I, I look after that with the phase three manager. Um, it's great, you know, I, I get to see the joy in people's faces when we're able to give them any, any sort of food they want, from fresh fruit and veg to chocolate cakes. <laughs> you know, it, it really is great. There's been such an incredible change in me, you know, from a former drug addict that would prefer to take than give. Um, in addition to this, my relationship with God has improved dramatically. I recognise that I have to be centred with him in order for my life to work well. Even when things are not the way I, I perhaps like them to be, he reminds me all things work, for, work together for my good. And that when things go wrong, I should consider it pure joy, which is why I got tattooed on the side, right side of my neck. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's James chapter 1, verse 2. You know, um, It reminds me, no matter how hard life gets, he's always, always there with me. Knowing this makes the tough days not so tough. Um, I've tried living life without him, and every time I've failed miserably. Um, the relationship I have with Jesus is like breathing a breath of fresh air daily. Mate, that's amazing. Thank you so much. See, every time a person chooses to follow Jesus, they receive a new life. Yes, a new life in heaven, an eternal life, but also on earth as it is in heaven. Everyone who accepts that invitation. And, you know, that story, that's my story. Um, is, it follows the same trend. Um, for, for, for people who are new here, um, 
if you're here, been here for a while, you've probably heard me share bits and bobs of my story. Um, but for people who are new, I'll just give you the gist. Um, I grew up with a belief in God, mainly due to the influence of my mum. But um, she died when I was a teenager. And during that um, time, she had a bit of a crisis of faith. And so really, in many ways, my faith died when, when she did. And in the years that followed, I went looking for meaning and truth and life in various different places. Um, I, I sought it out in, in achievement, in, in sort of trying to have f- as much fun as possible, in lots of different things, material things. But I just found stuff. And eventually my search led me to Jesus. And as I found out more about him, I came to the realization that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And I gave my life to Jesus, and I started a journey following him. And there's more details to it, but that's the gist of my story. And um, as I reflect on it, it occurs to me that that story, my story, might not sound that unique or special. It certainly doesn't sound as dramatic as Stuart's. Um, and, And maybe as you reflect on your story, you might feel that way about your own story. But actually, whenever a person comes to faith in Jesus, it's an incredible death to life story. The theologian John Stott, he, he, he puts this way better than I ever could. He says, we are always in danger of trivializing the gospel, of minimizing what God is able to do for us and in us. We speak of becoming a Christian as if it were no more than turning over a new leaf and making a few superficial adjustments to an otherwise secular life. But no, becoming and being a Christian according to the New Testament is an event so radical that no language can do it justice except death and resurrection. Death to the old life of self-centeredness and resurrection to a new life of love. In brief, The same God of supernatural power who raised Jesus from physical death can raise us from spiritual death. We know he can raise us because we know that he raised him. It's so ironic, I think, that we we watch and we buy Hollywood films about life and death because we think they're thrilling and entertaining. But this room is literally filled with stories that are far more real and powerful. Take um, the example I gave, Apollo 13. It is a cool film. It is a cool story. But consider, how does it stack up against your story, about my story? There are similarities. So just to contrast it, we begin the journey of life like the way the spaceship takes off from Earth. But somewhere along the journey, something goes wrong. Houston we have a problem. We realize that we're living in a broken world and that there's nothing that we can do to fix it. We realize that we ourselves are broken. We've made sinful choices that have hurt us and hurt others and caused pain. We realize that our souls are longing for meaning and there's nothing that we can can do. There's nothing that we can buy. There's nothing that we can experience that will give us that sense of satisfaction and peace that our soul craves. And of course we realize physically that our bodies are growing older every day and actually we are heading slowly towards death. These are realities 
that we all have to come to terms with at some point. These are realities that I've had to come to terms with in my life. And worst of all, perhaps that's the, the, the worst thing is that these, these, these truths, they're, they're something that we just cannot change. We're on a trajectory towards death, ultimately, and there's nothing that we can do to turn the ship around. That was the situation that the, that the adulterous woman had got herself into. That was the situation that Stuart had got himself into, and many of us, is a situation that I'd got into. The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And what, 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 what that does is that it's, it means that we've veered away for the course that we were made for. We're veered away, veered away from the trajectory that we were built for. Veered away from a relationship with God. Now apparently, to this day, those three astronauts who were on the Apollo 13 flight um, hold the record for the furthest physical distance travelled from Earth. They have been further away from the planet Earth than any other people. I guess at this point in the journey, when they were there, um, nobody's ever been further away. And in the movie, that's a really eerie point because, because at that point, the spacecraft gets cut off from contact with the Earth and they lose connection with their home. They lose connection with their life. But the point, of course, where they were furthest away was the point where they began their journey home. And the only reason that they were able to begin to make that journey home was because they had realized that they didn't have the power on board to turn the ship around. They had realized that they needed to harness the gravity of the moon. They had to look beyond themselves so that they could turn their journey around. And in the same way, we have to make that similar discovery. We have to understand that we don't have the knowledge or the power to break death and create life. We don't have the power to turn our lives around in our own strength. It's only as we look beyond ourselves and look to the person of Jesus that he is able to call us homewards, that he is able to say to you and I, look to me, fix your eyes on me, orbit around me, orientate your life around me and I will change your direct trajectory from death to life. I'll bring you home. He promises us the one who believes in me will live. And the reason that we can trust this promise is that, is that he himself has been on that journey. On Good Friday, Jesus died on a cross for the sake of the world. He, cried up his he, he, he gave up his life and he cried out on the cross, Father, why have you forsaken me? And the sky went black. Jesus took the sins of the world on the cross. My sins, your sins, our sins, all the things that had taken us off course. He took them upon himself. Like the spaceship going around the far side of the moon, Jesus journeyed into the grave, into death. And for a moment, the connection between Jesus and life Jesus and the Father was lost. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, death. Sunday, alive. On Sunday, Jesus conquered death and he emerged into life and he went back home to the Father. 
And it's because of this, it's because he's been on that journey that he's able to look to you and I and he's able to say to us the same words that he said to that adulterous woman. He's able to say, I do not condemn you. Whatever you might have done, wherever you might have been, I have took your sins upon myself. I've taken them down into death and I have come through the other side. So follow me and I will take you on that journey from death to life and bring you home. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, the thing that I really want to highlight tonight is that that is your story and it is an incredible story. You know, sometimes when people ask, I don't know about you, but sometimes when people ask me what's my story, you know, I sometimes fall into this trap of thinking that I've got nothing to share and I can forget to understand that God has done something miraculous in me and that the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead rests in me as a follower of him. So, you know, this Easter, this bank holiday weekend, I don't know what's on your mind at the moment, whether you're thinking about, you know, chocolates or, you know, spending times with family or perhaps you've got some DIY to do tomorrow, I don't know. But I want to encourage you that in the midst of that, just to just stop and reflect this Easter on all that God has done in your life. You have a hope to live for, an eternal destiny with Jesus. You have life because of him and him alone. But for others of you here who perhaps wouldn't describe yourself as a follower of Jesus, I want to highlight to you that tonight is an opportunity to turn your life around. Your life might be going the wrong way. You might have had some onboard malfunctions. You might have found yourself drifting off trajectory and you haven't got the power to turn it around. You might feel like you're at the furthest point you've ever been from God in your life. If that's you, Jesus wants to fulfill that promise. If you believe in me, I will give you life. He wants you to start a new life now and a new life that leads into eternal life in heaven. A clean start. He says, let's turn things around and we'll bring you home. The most incredible story can be your story today. This might be the point where you've been the furthest from God that you've ever been. But Easter Sunday 2018 could be the day that you will always remember as the day that you started your journey back home. So what I'm going to do is, um, it, it would be great if, if we could all just stand for a moment, if you're able to do that. And what we're going to do is, if you'd like to take that step, I want to give you an opportunity to do this. Um, but actually, this is something that, for all of us who, who, are, who are followers of Jesus, um, I'd love you to engage with this, um, just as a way of, of reflecting on all that Jesus has done for us. Um, I'm going to invite you to pray. And I'm not going to sort of, um, you know, ask you to recite my words. You're going to pray in your own words, internally, in your own heart. Um, and, and this is how we're going to do it. First, we're going to just spend a couple of moments reflecting on what God has done for us and inviting God through the, through the presence of his spirit to just come and, 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 and touch us a little bit and just sort of give us that draw that we would experience something of that draw that he longs for us to come home. That's the first thing we do. We're just going to spend a few moments on reflection and then we're going to do three things in our heart. First, we're going to acknowledge that at some point in the journey, 
something's gone wrong. We're going to acknowledge that there have been mistakes made, that we have made decisions that have set us off trajectory. We're going to reflect on our sins for a moment. Secondly, we're going to acknowledge that we can't turn this ship around in our own strength, that we need to ask Jesus for help. Help. We're going to orbit, not around the moon, but around the person of Jesus and the cross and ask him to forgive us and deliver us from death. And then thirdly, we're going to ask him to reset the trajectory of our lives. And we're going to resolve afresh to putting his direction first in our lives that he might lead us into life. So I'm going to just lead us through that process. And, and while that's happening, the band are going to come up. And after we've done that, there'll be an opportunity. And we're going to worship together And before we go. The final thing I'll just say before we get into that is that if you've sort of made that decision tonight, that you actually you want to start afresh with Jesus, we have these new believers packs. You can pick them up at the Connect area. And I'd really recommend you take one of those tonight. They're, they're, they're free. So let's just do this together. If you feel, close your eyes if you feel comfortable doing this and just reflect for a moment. And let's invite God through his spirit to come and meet with us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would, you would draw us close to you. That those of us who feel far from you would feel your presence and your warmth and your affection for us. Now, just in your own words, in your own heart, take a moment to just reflect on the choices that you've made that have set you off trajectory. It could be today, it could be over the last few years. Those decisions that we've made that we know fall short of God's standard, let's just take a moment to reflect on them. Secondly, let's take a moment to ask for God's forgiveness for those decisions we made. Let's acknowledge that it's only in his strength that we can walk a trajectory that leads to life. Let's thank him for dying on a cross for us and ask him for his forgiveness tonight. Thirdly, let's, let's ask him to reset the trajectory of our lives afresh. Let's commit and resolve afresh to living for him and being carriers of his light and his life. now we're going to respond together the band are going to lead us in worship and as we sing these words I just encourage you to just think about what Jesus has done for us think about the life that he brings and worship him with every part of ourselves